Psalm 132. I'll be reading the uh, verses 1 through 18 from the New International Version. And as uh, the past few have been, this is another song of ascents. Lord, David, Lord, remember David and all of his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah, and we came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Verse 10. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statues I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a lesson coming from Psalm today. We thank you for Pastor Steve's work and preparation for this lesson and the blessings that you have put into this for him and for us. Help us to enjoy hearing your word. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 132. The, the, the Psalms of Ascent only go through 134. So we have, we have this one and two more. This was sort of our summer sermon series. And um, for my family at least, summer is coming to an end. Um, not the weather. The weather is going to feel like summer for probably several more weeks. But um, school is starting um, for... for for a proportion of my children this Thursday. Um, we've got college for one of them starting next week. And so summer is coming to the end. Our summer sermon series is coming to an end. We're Psalm 134 in just a couple of more weeks, and then we move on to Hebrews. Um, I pray, I hope, that the Psalms of Ascent have been a blessing to you. They have been a help and a blessing um, to me. Um, and I pray that they have been to you as well, and I also pray the same thing for as we dive into the book of Hebrews. There's much to learn um, there as well. Today's psalm, you might have noticed, is a little bit longer than the other psalms of ascent. The psalms of ascent have generally been pretty short, like eight verses is the is the most for most of them. Some of them are just two or three. The last couple of them are, I think, are just three verses apiece. Um, this one, though, is 18 verses. I know last week, I think, was a three-verse sermon, and the, ser- and, and, and the sermon ended up being about 30 minutes. So this is 18 verses. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking we should be able to bring this in under three hours if we're doing that sort of ratio. 
uh, right? Uh, about 10 minutes of verse. We'll be out of here before too easily. Um, no, actually what we're going to do is, because it is a long, uh, longish one, we're going to divide it up into two parts. Hopefully this will be helpful. Um, the first part, verses 1 through 10, we're going to call the people's prayer for the Lord's blessing. And then the second part of the sermon is going to be the Lord's plan for His people's good. So really, it's only a two-point two sermon. The Number one, the people's prayer for the Lord's blessing. That's the first ten verses of the psalm. And then 11 through 18 is the Lord's plan for His people's good. So if we think about it, really what we're looking at here is, is what the people have to say in the first ten verses, generally speaking, and then in, in the last part of the psalm, what the Lord has to say. We can think about it in those ways. So first part here, part one, the people's prayer for the Lord's blessing. And this psalm starts off really interesting. It actually took me a while to really know what to do with it this, this week as I started studying this and reading it, especially those first five verses, um, because we know that um, we know that the Psalms of Ascent, they're being sung as the people are traveling to Jerusalem. People are going to Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna worship there, they're, they're going to um, offer sacrifices there, there's going to be some sort of festival or feast. It's one of the times on the calendar where they go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And it's a very, I mean, very special time for each of the families that are coming. And as they're traveling, they're singing these songs of ascent, these traveling songs. And they're praying for the Lord to bless them. And, and we know that oftentimes in the Old Testament, when the people would be traveling to Jerusalem, they, they would be excited, right? But there would be um, heaviness, uneasiness. Uh, I, um, uh, they, there might be a lack of confidence um, because... Sometimes they rolled up to Jerusalem and things weren't going there the way that they should have been going. This psalm, the people are going to pray for a king that knows the blessing of the Lord. They're going to pray for righteous priests and joyful people. They're going to, they have big prayers here in this psalm. But... When you, when you actually get to Jerusalem, some of that stuff is not in play, right? There are many times throughout the Old Testament, you didn't have righteous priests. You didn't have faithful, blessed kings. And you didn't have the saints shouting for joy. Things were not always the way the, the faithful wanted them to be. So they start out their prayer here as they're traveling to Jerusalem they're, they're saying, God, please remember your covenant with David. You have made this beautiful, blessed promise to David. Please don't forget it. And the way that they remind God of that promise to David is to remind God of David's faithfulness to him. Very interesting the way it starts there in verses 1-5, through isn't it? Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured. Don't forget the way David sacrificed and, and, and what David endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place 
for the mighty one of Jacob. This song is remembering David's passion for the glory of God, but also, very specifically, it's, it's remembering David's commitment to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. If we were to read through 2 Samuel 6 and 7, we would, we would remember the story together where David has, has located the Ark of the Covenant and it has not been easy. There have been hardships for sure, but he has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The, the Ark of the Covenant was the, the sacred box. It was the sacred chest that represented God's presence among His people. It was where the mercy seat was. It, was, it represented where His forgiveness could be found. His, his power and His grace on their behalf. His, his glory. The, the Old Testament calls it the footstool for His throne. It was, it was very special um, to David. And, and David was distraught because the, the ark had been kind of out in the wilderness for, for generations. And so he brings it into Jerusalem and then he looks around and he says, I've got a house to live in and the ark of the covenant does not. I, there's, there's no place for the presence of God. I have a better house than God does. He's grieved about this. So he, so he sets out to build this house and he says, I will not sleep until I get this Done. This shows how zealous he was for, for God's glory. We can't have the Ark of the Covenant in some tent. That's no good. We need, we need to, we, God's presence among us needs to be way more honored than that. This is not suitable at all. So the people are praying as they're headed up to Jerusalem. And maybe things are going good in Jerusalem and maybe they're not. We know in the Old Testament, this song was sung in all kinds of different times. Maybe they're headed up to Jerusalem and things are good, but probably they're headed up to Jerusalem and they are afraid for the future of their nation. And so they're, so they're praying, God, don't forget! Don't forget this Beautiful promise you made to David. And remember, David was faithful to you. He loved you. He was passionate about your glory. And now they're in, in verses 6-10, through 10, they're saying, we're passionate about your glory as well. We want you to be honored too. We want you to... We want this, we want this temple and, 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 the, and Jerusalem. We want, to, we want you to showcase your strength there. Show yourself strong there. Verses 6 and 7, they say... Um, basically what's happening in verses 6 and 7 is they're, they're sort of reenacting the, the glorious day when the ark was brought originally to Jerusalem. And so this is almost like a, they're almost dramatizing it or something. It's, it's almost a little bit like when we, when we remember the Lord's Supper together. They're, they're remembering, they're, they're sort of acting out in a way the, 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 the wonderful day when the ark was brought they, 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 they heard of it in Ephrathah, which is, which is code, of code for Bethlehem. They found it in the fields of Jerah, where if you, if you look in Second uh, Samuel, the, this sort of the region, this, this wooded region where the ark had just been there for a while. And, and now the word is spreading through the countryside that David has brought it to Jerusalem, and everybody's excited. They say, verse 7, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And so they're, they're sort of reenacting this glorious day and, and they're saying, God, that same passion that David had for your glory, we have that too. And then they say in verse 8, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. Which doesn't have the idea of just go hang out on the couch, God. Arise, O Lord, is when we, we are begging God to show Himself strong. Show your mercy. Put your mercy and your glory and your strength... Um, 
Put it on display, God. We need to see how wonderful and how strong You are. You and the ark of Your might. And then the people say this is kind of what they mean by that. And I think um, this would have been, again, um, a, a prayer of distress almost many times. Verses 9 and 10. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Oh, Dallas read it from the NIV, and the NIV kind of has it where it's, it sounds like don't, it's, it's, it's asking God, please, you don't turn your face away from the anointed one. The ESV, um, translates it, don't turn away the face of your anointed one from you. Uh, either way, the point is, sort of the same, or it's, it's exactly the same, Lord, bless your anointed one, your king. Remember your promise to David and bless your king. Lord, we need a faithful, we need a king that is locked in on you and your word and your glory, God. We need a faithful, strong, humble, obedient king. Please don't, please don't turn away from your king. We need we need priests to be clothed with righteousness. And we know throughout the history of the Old Testament that didn't always happen. We, we, let, let your saints shout for joy. These people, in verses 1-10, through 10, are, are crying out. They're saying, when we get to Jerusalem, God, we want to see the, the, your strength there. We want to see your glory on display. We want to see your grace on display. There, though, that verses eight through ten is almost word for word the same. Um, that it comes right from Solomon when he, when he, when the, the temple was finally completed, and and Solomon prayed this prayer of dedication. Um, it comes almost right from that prayer in Second Chronicles. So these these people have have taken this song. This, the psalmist, whoever wrote this song, has has taken the words of Solomon that he prayed. Oh, when the when the temple was originally dedicated, and they've made it this this song, this traveling song, where every time they go to Jerusalem, they pray that same prayer that Solomon prayed. Please, O oh Lord, for the sake of your servant David, please remember your covenant with David. Remember your promise to David. Please, Lord, we need righteous priests. We need joyful people. We need faithful kings. Please do it, God. But we also know, as we read through the Old Testament, especially as we come to the end of the Old Testament, this was not the story. This was not the story. Um, I, I don't. Do you guys have any? Um, I, I grew up in the city, um, but we 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 had foliage. You know, we weren't like it wasn't just concrete. Um, we had trees, and there is, um, there have been there have been trees in my um, life that have been uh, um, that I've loved that I, I can remember them still. Uh, my my grandma had a, a weeping willow, and uh, I remember swinging on that thing, um, and um, and I remember climbing it, and 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 I remember there's a couple trees in my life where I just I I can remember them vividly. I you. We, we would have, uh, there'd be like rotten crab apples. You'd climb up in the tree and then you just pelt, um, usually your sister or anybody she had visiting with her, just a way of kind of, um, sh- um, just sort of a way of, of, of uh, relating to enemy nations, you know. Uh, 
And we would we would just toss them down uh, at at her's great times. Um, it's just wonderful, precious memories like that. Um, um, you you go and then you um, and you see that that tree has. You, you go back decades later and you see that tree has died, and somebody has cut it down. And it's just a, there's just a stump there, just a stump there. And you're like, I know it's just a tree, but that was my tree, you know. Like, and that's, we do that sometimes with, with things that were incredibly precious to us, and, and, and then we, and it's just, it's gone. This is the way it felt for the people of God. That the, the, the covenant with David, the family of David, this was their thing. It was this, it was to be this great, big, glorious family tree, and those doofuses have messed it up. Because, because David was good, Solomon was okay, the guys who come after him, most of them, not great. And by the time we finish the Old Testament, they've, they've lost the throne. They've been in exile. They come back from exile. There's no, there's no Davidic king on the throne. There's no throne in Jerusalem. It, it looks very much like the line of David has been cut down. There's just a stump there. There's just a stump there. But with that stump, though, you find in the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament a remnant of people who just keep praying. They just keep praying. They say, yeah, there's a stump there, but we're going to believe the promises of God. We're just going to keep praying. It doesn't look good, but we are going to keep praying. And that's because they believe the second part of this psalm. Now, do they understand it completely? No. I don't understand it completely, but, but I have a better handle on it because we have the New Testament, so we have a better handle on this psalm than they did, but they believed it and they kept praying. So part one of this is the people's prayer for the Lord's blessing. Part two, the Lord's plan for His people's good. The Lord's plan for His people's good. So, so the, the covenant with David... They, they just keep believing it. They keep believing it. But it's not looking good. And it's, and it's because it's an interesting sounding covenant, isn't it? It's, a, it's an interesting deal that the Lord has made with His people. It's an interesting promise He has made with them. Let's look at, it, it starts there in verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which He will not turn back. And so that just sounds like a done deal, right? That just sounds like this is going to happen. He said, one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. This is a sure oath. He's not going to turn back from this. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. This is God's promise to David. But then verse 12, everything becomes a little iffier, doesn't it? It goes from being unconditional, going to happen, to there's very much a conditional part of this. If your sons, verse 12, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. The family tree of David is going to be just fine as long as those numbskulls stay in line. As long as they continue to write the the Word of God on their hearts. As long as they continue to be the the lead repenter, the lead obeyer, the lead worshiper in, in Jerusalem. But if they go off, if they go off into foreign idols, if, if, if they go off into rebellion, if, if they ignore the Word of God, 
going to be bad. If your sons keep my covenant, it's going to be fine. If they don't, watch out. So it's fascinating. We have almost like two opposing promises here, doesn't it? The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Did did Solomon's sons and then their sons and then and then the sons after them did they mess everything up forever? No. No. They messed it up for themselves. They themselves lost the throne and there was a a long period of time where there was no one on the throne because of the because of those kings wickedness. But did they mess it up forever? No. God's promise is stronger than that. God's faithfulness to His Word is stronger than that. God has said to David, one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. And so this captures exactly what the Lord had said to David in 2 Samuel 7. When, when, when David was like, I'm going to build you a house, and God's like, no, actually, actually, here's the big deal. The big deal, the big story, I'm going to build you a house, David, which means I'm going to build you a family. I'm going to build you a family tree. I'm going to build you a line, a royal line, It'll last forever. He says in 2 Samuel 7.12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which is a fancy way of saying, when you kick the bucket, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So who is this? Who is this one who will come from David's body? Who, who's going to build a house in the name of the Lord? Who's, whose throne is going to be established forever? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. This is who God is promising to David. Over and over and over in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth is called the Son of David. You see it at the very beginning. Matthew 1. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. In Luke 1, Zechariah says about Jesus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation. Remember that phrase? He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Jesus is the Son of David. And He is the Son of David who will rule and reign forever. The throne of His kingdom is going to last forever. And this is really, really good news because His kingdom is going to be really good. Continuing on, Psalm 132, verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is My resting place forever. Here I will dwell. This is where I'm going to dwell. This is where I'm going to be. And it's going to be Forever. For I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. So God's not leaving any of this up to chance. He's not leaving any of this up to our faithfulness. He is saying, here's what I am going to do. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There, there I will make... Listen to this. So here's how... I, I love verse 17. I've never seen it. You know how you, you, you've seen verses, but you've never seen them? Uh, I've never seen it until this week. But you think about how wonderful 
um, the kingdom is going to be for all those who belong to King Jesus. If you are in Christ, if Christ is your King, then this is your future. Abundantly blessed with provisions. No more poverty. Everyone has plenty. And we are beyond that and better than that. We are clothed with salvation. We are shouting for joy. No more sin. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. So here's that horn of salvation that Zechariah talked about. And he, the Lord is going to, verse 17, here's how He's going to make this happen. Here's how He's going to get this done. He's going to make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. He is going to make a horn to sprout for David. So what is a horn? A horn in the Old Testament is not like... It's not, that's usually not what it's talking about. Usually what it's talking about is the, um, the horn on the head of an animal that, that, that we don't need to go into details, but that gores other animals, right? It's, it's referring to mighty military strength. If there's certain animals, if they put their head down and they charge at you, you, you get out of the way as fast as you possibly can because that horn is their strength. And Jesus is this horn of salvation. He is mighty to save. He has, in, he has incredible strength to save, which is good news for us. Because we are dead in our sins. We need someone mighty to save. And so God is saying, this, this horn is going to sprout for David. A sprout is like a small shoot. And so now we've combined, (laughs) the Bible does this, it's weird. Um, Now we've combined this mighty to save, this this incredibly fearsome horn, this this war, this weapon of war, this this mighty salvation with a sprout. (laughs) Um, Sprout's a weird word for that. What do you mean a sprout? It's a it's a small shoot. It's a little, it's like a little like plant that's that's barely getting going. It's a, it's, a, it's a tree in its very earliest days of life. What are we talking about here? This refers directly to Isaiah 11. Because how would something sprout for David? What are we talking about? Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You wrap up the Old Testament, and, and, there is, and, and Jesse's family tree, that is a stump. It's a stump. It's a stump. It looks like, I mean, David's royal family tree looks like it's been, it's been hacked down and there's nothing left. It's done. We're just going to plow around that thing now. Isaiah 11 says, no, actually, no, 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 no. You look carefully, you're going to see a small shoot growing from the stump of Jesse. God has made a promise and God is going to keep it. When Isaiah 53 talks about that little shoot, it says, He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. John 1, Jesus shows up on the scene, and John picks up on this 
idea. John picks up on this idea of Jesus being despised and us esteeming him not. John 1 says he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Nobody cared about the shoot. Nobody cared about the the horn that God had sprouted for David. Nobody cared about that. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, we got good news here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, now listen, David is praying hard for God's presence and God's glory and God's salvation to come and be with the people. We need you, God, here with us. And that's what the people are praying as they're going to Jerusalem and they're saying, I I know the news coming from Jerusalem is not good. Maybe this is before the exile. Maybe it's after the exile. I know that, that right now it's after the exile and, and Jerusalem is just a shell of its former self and there's no, there's no king even there. Because the people are praying hard. They're praying with desperation. And here's what we see as we crack open the New Testament. We see that God is answering their prayer better than they even know how to pray it. God's plan was always better than just to have his footstool in a temple. That, that was all, his plan was always better than that. His plan was to come down to us. God's plan was always better than the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. God's plan was always better than depending on the faithfulness of David and Solomon and, and the doofuses that came from their family tree that finally got Israel exiled. God's plan was always to come and dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. John 1 says that there are many who were not born of God, so they did not, so they did not believe in His name. They did not receive Him. There were many who, who were not born of God. So when Jesus came, they did not receive Him. My question for you this morning is, have you been born of God? Well, how do I know? Have you, have you believed the Gospel? Have you, have, you, have you believed in the name of Jesus? Have you agreed with the Word of God that you are guilty before God and, and, that, and that Jesus Christ and His death on the cross are your only hope to be forgiven of your sins? Have you believed that? Verse 18 is wonderful news for those who have believed the Gospel, for those who are in Christ, for those who have been born of God. But it is terrifying for those who haven't. Our final verse of our psalm says, His enemies, I will clothe with shame. But on Him, His crown will shine. If you reject Jesus, you will be clothed with shame. You will be punished forever. But, but Jesus Himself will have a crown that will shine forever. But on Him, His crown will shine. This is incredibly good news for you and me. 
for all those who are in Christ. This is incredibly good news for those who have received and who have believed in His name. Those, those who, because they have been born of God, have believed the Gospel and love Jesus and hate their sin and are holding on for dear life until He returns. Is that you? Have you been born of God? Do you love Jesus? Do you trust Him? Are you holding on for dear life till He returns? Is Jesus your King? Then it's good news that He's going to reign forever because His kingdom is going to be very good. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. We're not going to be looking at a box that represents Him. We're going to be with Him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And I almost wept when I flipped to to Revelation 22 and I read these words from Jesus Himself. Revelation 22.16 says, I, Jesus, have sent My angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And then listen to what He says. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, Hey, you, 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 you believe that there's going to be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You believe that death is going to be taken away, that the former things are going to be gone. You believe that because I, Jesus, have sent my angels to tell you that this is true. And then he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus says, Psalm 132 is about me. I'm going to make it happen. We can feel sometimes like the people traveling to Jerusalem and we're praying and we're praying fervently and we're even saying, God, remember, remember your promises that you've made. Remember the, remember the faithfulness of all the people who have come before us. Remember, God, don't turn back on your promises. It feels like we're looking at a stump and there's nothing good growing out of it. Please, God, please remember your promises. Please, please bless your people. Please make all things right. Please do it, God. Well, we're going to do what these folks singing Psalm 132 thousands of years ago did. We're going to hold on. We're going to believe. We're going to stick with Jesus. We're going to trust His Word. We're going to submit ourselves to the truth we find in His Word because we can be sure that His plan is better than our prayer. We pray hard. We pray well-intentioned, well-meaning. We do the best we can to pray for God's blessing. And God in Jesus Christ gives us much better than we could ever ask or think. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all that we have. And we barely touched Psalm 132. There's so much going on. We thank You for it. We thank You for Jesus who is going to make all things new. He has sent His angels to tell the churches. He has given us His Word. He has given us His Word. He's going to make all things 
new. He is the root and the descendant of David. He is the bright morning star. Help us to trust in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.